How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the PickSwap Podcast. I'm with my co-host, Sean Bernard, as always, and we're here with Tiago from The Painted Lines. Tiago, thank you for coming on and joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Enjoy you guys' work. Uh, follow you guys throughout Twitter, and you guys put out some great stuff. Excited to talk about the Sixers that we were talking about right before the podcast. Uh, there's always something going on with this team, man. And they looked good last night. They looked very good. They looked uh, looked like a team that was ready to make some damage. So excited to talk about them. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. So uh, we'll get right into it now. Uh, Sean mentioned beforehand that you're a very big Isaiah Joe fan. Uh, so we've seen a ton from him this preseason, shooting just over 63% uh, from three on what? A little over six attempts per game. So insane numbers from Isaiah Joe this preseason thus far. Um, tell us what you were thinking coming into this year, what your expectations were. And then what now you expect from him seeing what he's been able to do in the preseason? Yeah, Isaiah Joe is an interesting name because, I mean, we go back to like early last year, right? So we did a lot of scouting on Isaiah Joe for the painted lines, even while he was at Arkansas. Um, he was the kind of guy who really fit what the NBA is all about these days, which is, um, you know, shooting high volume, shooting from the outside, but also where he takes his shots from. I'm sure you guys have noticed that. He's like a four-point range type of shooter. Guys like Trey Young and, you know, Davis Bertans and even a little bit of Steph Curry, they have that kind of range. And what he's able to do by ha- by taking shots from the outside is really extend the defense out even further. And he fits that mode of a, of a shooter that the Sixers really have not had. Even with J.J. Redick. I mean, J.J. Redick is obviously a knockdown shooter, obviously, but he doesn't. He didn't have quite the range that, that Isaiah Joe has. So... Uh, when we were scouting him through the painted lines, I mean, that was something that really stood out, especially when we talked about playing with alongside uh, Ben and, and Joel. Um, you know, last year was kind of a, you know, a kind of get your feel, you get your feet wet kind of season for him. I thought that he played well enough to warrant some minutes. I mean, I don't know what you guys thought about it, but I thought even in his uh, limited playing time, you know, while we had the Sixers going through some COVID issues and whatnot, he kind of showcased a little bit of, you know, shooting, which is his calling card, but also... Uh, something that we found very interesting was his defense. I mean, that's something that really – we both thought, Chris, myself, we scouted him, thought that uh, he was going to translate to some capacity in the NBA, specifically his ability to impact passing lanes off the ball. And you see it in preseason uh, through his uh, steals numbers. He's up to seven steals in the preseason. That's a pretty high number. Actually, leads the team in steals. So you see how his length and his feel off the ball impacts possession. So – I mean, those are the two things coming in for us going into this year. We thought that maybe um, it could translate. And we're seeing through the summer, uh, in, in summer league, and now in preseason. I mean, it's there. It's there. And he's starting to get more and more playing time. And uh, I don't know if you guys thought so, about how he slots into that rotation, something I'm very interested to see uh, moving forward. Yeah. So I would say for me going into this year, he was a guy I had not given up the pipe dream of kind of a Ben Simmons and pieces for a superstar deal. And he was a guy that I think could have been the beneficiary of that, of a guy that steps in when kind of the bench is emptied. And now sitting back after these first couple that regardless of who is here, I think we need to find a way to get him on the floor. And frankly, there's areas of his game that just he's improved on that weren't really the case. When you think about his ball handling, his passing, and I think in my head, especially, I kind of had him pinned as like, a shooter more in like the Furcon kind of range of play style. And that's not really him. He has a handle. He can do a lot more. He is kind of more of a passer. He's a guy that can handle the on-ball role a little. And uh, like you said, with the range, that's simply an element that has never been brought to this Sixers lineup. There was a play in a uh, game two of the preseason where it was a dribble handoff. 
and he simply just shot it. He didn't go around. There was no defense. There was no – you can't go over or under on it. Is he just caught the ball and took it, and it's just literally a body block there. And that's just something that expanding it beyond there – We've, been, we've talked about spacing for so long and how much of an issue that's been with the Sixers. And just that's a new element to putting pressure on the defense when you can expand plus past that range. And that's something that's become more and more commonplace in the NBA in recent years and something the Sixers just haven't taken advantage of. So adding that to the lineup and finding a way to just get him in and see really what he's capable, I think needs to be a priority for this team at this point. I, I completely agree. And to your point, Sean, you think about like what playing time looks like uh, with Isaiah Joe heading to the year. Uh, for me, it's twofold, right? So first off, you talked about his handle and you saw it last night was a perfect example of that. He can orchestrate pick and roll and be very effective. And we all know how much Doc loves Shake Milton. I'm not particularly how Shake Milton as other people are, but Doc loves him and Shake's going to have a role with this team. But when I think about it as a pick and roll orchestrator, to me, I'll be rolling with Isaiah Joe because of that shooting element. Mm-hmm. He has the ability to, to shoot off the ball. He's got a dribble pull-up game as well. And he can make some of the similar pick and roll passes that Shake Milton has had over the course of his career. So I think uh, from a pick and roll perspective, you can see how he slots in as a uh, uh, kind of a combo pseudo guard. But then also, like, one of the things that I talked about with, with our guys is now – using multiple guy lineup, multiple guard lineups. So three guard lineups, even four guard lineups, right? People talk about Ferk or Joe as as an option. I say both. Why not go with both at the same time? You know, you pair them up with with uh, with Joel and with um, another point guard and, um, and you go from there. So I think um, there's obvious uh, alternatives to work with Isaiah Joe and it's just a matter of how Doc sees them uh, moving forward. It's really interesting to me the way that he's been able to like the growth that we saw just from like the end of last year uh, into the summer and then this year. And he's one of those guys that's with, you know, with Maxie and with Paul Reed, cerebral workers, guys that do not lack in confidence at all. And like Doc said earlier in the year, like early in the preseason, I mean, like he's going to force his way into the, the rotation. He has made it basically impossible not to have him somewhat in the rotation thus far and i know we haven't gotten into the season yet but it seems like that's something that that, uh, a skill set that's unique to the sixers something that they don't really have um they have shooters Furkan, dg seth curry obviously as well but like just his range his ability and then um he's a little bit smaller like i i kind of forget what like last year coming into the year for whatever reason you kind of see him as a bigger like wing shooter when in reality he's definitely more of a guard and like even smaller than a combo guard. He's only like six, three. So um, he's, ver- he's really interesting where he, fa- where he'll fall in this lineup. Cause you have guards when, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Ben in a little bit and where he fits, but Danny green, Seth Curry, Maxi shake um, Matisse and Ferk on your wings. And then another guy we're going to talk about is George Niang. But is there, do you see him in that second unit fighting for those, um, to be in the backcourt with Maxi, or, or I'm just very like, it, there's not a lot of space for him to fall in there. So who does he knock out of minutes or who is he sharing or fighting minutes with? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. I think uh, if you look at down the roster, he would probably be sharing minutes with Korkmaz off the bat. I think that would be a name that comes, comes to mind. Um, but again, like I said, I think those guys can, can work together. 
And I think he does wonders when you pair him with Joel Embiid. I mean, you saw yesterday Joel alongside four shooters, right? Mm-hmm. Now you cannot throw these double teams at Joel. And Joel is like an, a point guard kind of player now. I mean, he's developed so much of his dribble drive game. He's really like a he's like a center slash point guard type of player, something we've kind of never seen from that position. So be able to put Joel at the top of the key space with four shooters and now you know, that help defense is kind of stuck between hedging towards Joel or sticking to, to Joe. And we saw last night, I mean, Joel took Millsap off the dribble a couple of times and it made it look very easy as a result of that. So I think he should be part of the rotation moving forward. I think that, you know, his range should be between the 10 or 15 minutes. And how you work that in is, you know, maybe giving uh, Cork Mas a breather, pairing him Joel and beat in some kind of multiple guard lineups. And, you know, just kind of working through that. So I think he's, you know, he's going to eventually find himself in the rotation. But I do think he's one of those guys that if he does struggle, Doc will be very quick to pull the trigger on him because uh, the inexperience factor and all that will definitely come into play. Yeah, absolutely. And that was another thing I wanted to touch on, too, was kind of the Joel and four shooters on the floor, which we saw in full swing yesterday without a true point guard out there. We saw a little uh, point guard Frick, which was cool to see. And, uh, but bottom line is simply that works, just Joel and four shooters. And you've seen the growth in his passing. The pass he had where it was the look off to Joe and the no look to Furcon was a real, like, eye-opening moment for me, which was like, wow, like, they can't double down on this guy. and Or, like, there's an open three-pointer with all those guys that are 40-plus percent three-point shooters on the perimeter, guys that you just can't leave open. And Joel, one-on-one, we take that every day of the week. You saw last night, eight minutes, 14 points, which is absurd numbers and just – how easily he made it do that. And, like, that was kind of a step back. Like, when we think away from the Simmons drama and everything that's that's gone on about this, is like this is a new kind of direction that this team can go in and prioritizing that and just building around guys that can simply bring out the best in Joel and let this be the Joel Embiid show with a supporting cast that fully complements him. And, I mean, obviously we'll get into the Simmons stuff later, but I was super excited with just the look of the team and the foundation of how that how that came to play. Joel's kind of guys like if you're hitting shots, he will give you the ball. Like Absolutely. He's not yeah. mind passing the ball. If you're not hitting shots, he tries to do too much himself and he can get in trouble. But if shots are falling, man, he would gladly make that pass and mm-hmm. falling last night. It was incredible to watch the ball movement last night. And it kind of makes you think about what this team maybe could or should look like um, with just proper spacing and guys that are willing to space the floor and take shots when they're open. And you know, Furkan's not passing up shots which is something you got to love about him. And it seems like Isaiah Joe's in that category as well. Um, but a guy that I'm like super excited about even more so than when they signed him is George Niang, who has like super quick release, a guy that can catch and shoot basically anywhere around the perimeter. And is just very solid and looked very good on defense, even when he was mismatched up against James Harden and, and guys like that. So uh, with Niang and his role and what you see from him, are you excited? And, and what do you feel his role is going to be coming into this year? Yeah. I mean, think about the role that Mike, Max, Mike Scott served last year, right? Which was, it was rough to watch, man. I mean, Mike Scott was really, really poor uh, last year for the Sixers. Yeah. And I was digging into some of the lineup stuff uh, earlier this week. And the Sixers' second most used lineup was a lineup with Mike Scott at center. And then Ben, Tobias, and a couple of the guards to go along with that. So... I keep thinking about can they play Mike Scott, uh, Mike Scott, uh, Jordan Niang as a small five, 
which is something that I'm very interested to see if they're able to do because one of the things I think they also should do from the bench standpoint is to kind of go small sometimes. I know that Doc's going to ride um, Andre Drummond for for extended minutes. I mean, he's a big fan of Andre Drummond, and, and Drummond's been playing very well in the preseason, so you have to give him a number on that. But there are lineups and matchups that I think you can really benefit by going small with Maxi, leaving that paint open for Maxi to to move around and and create attack downhill. So um, I think there's a lot to work there with Niang as a small five. Like you said, he's shown to be a defensive, not a defensive zero, uh, which is a good thing. And that quick release, man, I mean, that quick release is something that I was looking at even a couple last week in one of the games, and it's two dollars, like one of the quickest releases in the NBA. So uh, I'm very excited to see his role with the team. He's going to get a ton of open looks, uh, just as many as he saw it in, in Utah. And if he's shooting at 40, 42% range, the Sixers have an absolute bonafide steal win move for them with Niang. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think back to Mike Scott, uh, nothing but love from Mike Scott as the, the person and the individual. But yeah. outside of that brief stretch when he was first traded here, he's pretty much unplayable as a, an NBA rate, rotational guy. And when you think back, I had a similar reaction looking at his stats and his minutes. This guy started 12 games and played 16.7 minutes per game last year. And that's some of the most forgettable NBA minutes I've ever heard. And just like, even though you sit back and they're marginal upgrades when talking about like Nyang over Scott and Drummond over Dwight Howard, those are both very notable changes and guys that are really playable. And we talk about all the margin with the on-off splits with Joel Embiid, and that's obviously always going to be some sort of an issue just because of the magnitude of what he brings and just how good he is. But if you can have that as a, an upgrade in production in that bench unit, that's huge going forward, and that's huge this year. And when talking about Niang specifically, like he's just objectively a great shooter, and just you see the release, the movement off ball. Like I don't care what position you want to call him, like he has all the look and the feel of a guy that you just want shooting the basketball. And I've been impressed so far. I think it's so cool how excited he seems to be to play with Joel Embiid. He's brought it up at about just about every press conference how the doubles just open things up for him and that and uh. I think it's like a legitimate upgrade. I'm a little nervous about him as a, a small ball five, just because he's still six foot seven. He's not the biggest guy. He's got he's a nice, well rounded, uh, nice, well rounded base to go and box out or whatever. But he's never going to be the quickest guy defensively, so he might need a little bit of help there. But if he's on the floor with a guy like Tobias, like it might be possible, or even B-ball Paul alongside, that could work as well. And there's definitely some flexibility that he brings. So a great move overall. Yeah. One more point on on Yang. I mean, he's got – he's not only, not only has a quick release, but he's got a quick mind. So you watch him play. You know, he'll catch the ball. If he sees a cutter, he will make that pass right away. And he's able to time it very perfectly. And mm-hmm. you know, Mike Scott didn't have that in his game. He would catch the ball and look around. And, and that stagnant offense was a problem because you want to make quick decisions. Guys flash in front of you. You want to find the cutter and go. And, and Yang made a couple of beautiful passes where he didn't even hesitate. You know, so you can see the IQ element to his game, something this team needs because they don't have a lot of particularly great passers. So I'm excited to see how that plays out too. Yeah, his his basketball IQ and just his well-roundedness is definitely something that sticks out with him. And, and in that second unit, which he might end up being with a lot of young guys and, you know, it might be Maxi and Shake and uh, Matisse or Furkan and him. And like, he's going to be the older guy in that group. He's going to be the veteran presence in that group. So it will be really nice for him uh, to take over that role. And when he does get a chance to play alongside Joel Embiid, it's, 
it's open grass for him just standing in the corners, wings, yeah. top of the key, everywhere. He gets a lot of open shots, and he knows where to be. And that's something I pointed out last year uh, with Danny Green, who benefited so much for playing alongside Joel and Ben. Like, just knowing exactly where to be and when to be there so you do get open uh, when the opportunity strikes. And another guy that does that really well is Furkan. And we mentioned earlier that he might be in a little bit of a minutes battle uh, with Isaiah Joe and these guys. He played very well last night, and he's continued to add on to his game and not just be a shooter, be able to, to put the ball on the deck a little bit more, get to the rack a little bit more. He always surprises you with a fancy ball fake or something like he did in last night's game. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Furkan, so let me know how you feel about him and what you expect from Furk this year. I mean, how can you not love Furk, man? The guy, especially after that that video he put out there. For- <laughs> Night video. Yeah, I was like, I'm sold, man. Give me Furk, six men of the year odds. Yeah, uh, I love that little play that going yesterday with uh, Joel, the dribble handoff, and like you said, he takes it and takes it down the lane. He's got like subtle athleticism. He's not like a great athlete by any stretch of imagination, but he's not a zero athlete either. And he's got a uh, good length. So he's able to catch it. And if you're going up against a smaller lineup with the Nets were, they didn't really have a rim protector with uh, Blake Griffin. Um, you really be able to attack the, the rim with no, no disruption. So they were running that play pretty consistently. And Ferk, uh, man, he, he's able to finish pretty well. So I like that play a lot for the Sixers, especially with the spacing they have now with the <laughs> lineup. Uh, that's a big thing. Uh, for me with Ferk, I mean, I, he's a perfect regular season player, right? So a guy you're going to have to give minutes to in the regular season. He's going to give you those 20, 25-point games every now and then, which you need. Nights where some guys are off, he's going to be filling in with the shooting. Um, but I go back to, is he going to be a player that in the postseason, teams are not going to put a big bullseye on him defensively and play him off the court? And that's really where I'm at with Ferk is have you – shown enough defensive improvement where Doc will not have to take him off the court. Because as you guys know, postseason basketball is like, you know, Durant has the ball, he'll point to, you know, his one guy sets the screen. And now you got, excuse me, you got Durant on, on court of my So um, that's what I'm interested to see. So I'm very focused on his defensive improvements at the end of the year because as we all know, <coughs> excuse me, the shooting was going to be there. I mean, he's a, he's a good shooter. It's in his pedigree. Uh, he's gonna have another great year shooting wise, so I'm excited to see that. But defensively, is uh, is really where I want to see things play out for him. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to Furkan, like there's been so much talked about with guys like Maxi, Joe, everything. Like Furkan has improved and gotten better and just added things to his game, and he looks like just more confident out there. I never thought the day would come where he's dribbling up the court, calling plays in the way that it was last night. But he did. He made a couple nice reads. Uh, he's obviously done that a little bit with Turkey with the national team, so it wasn't like it was the first time ever. But he looked way more comfortable in that role uh, than I expected, which I think speaks volumes moving forward when we talk about the Embiid and four shooters idea. Just that little kind of secondary ball handler ability is something that's notable. And I agree he's more of a regular season guy, but that's fine. They're paying him like that. A uh, three-year, uh, his contract's not going to break the bank, so he's a good guy to keep around. And the other thing I will say about Ferg is there is kind of an element of like the frantic defense when he's about to shoot the ball that I don't necessarily see with a lot of the guys out there. And he probably has like when you just see the like don't let him shoot defense coming out, like he has a magnitude that he brings with him that I think is super cool. And I personally think every shot he throws up is about to go in, and that little line drive he gets going. So I'm, he's worth keeping around to me. He seems like a great locker room guy. And crazy, he's the longest tenured guy. If, if Simmons is out the door, it's him and Embiid now. So 
uh, I love keeping him around. Two things are first. First, he needs to change shoe color because he loves to step <laughs> in that baseline. He's got huge ass feet. He does, and he steps. He loves to step out of bounds on the corner three. <laughs> and it's like you when your shoes are bright yellow, it really stands out against the white line. So mm-hmm. get white shoes, make it hard for officials to to make that call. And then second thing, like there's an occasional fur game where you're like watching the fourth quarter and you're like. There's probably too much for freaking court. He needs to like tone it down with the shooting, but you got to live with it because he's, he's a fun guy to watch. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've definitely been huge for guys here. Um, he's, he's an enjoyable guy to watch. I don't think he's ever missed a pump fake side dribble three before in his life. He's just like, um, I, I love watching him play and I think he fits really well with this team. And, and like Sean, you said, having a little bit more tenure, which is strange to say that he's like one of the longer tenured players here and having that chemistry to build off of, um, alongside Joel really helped the last night. Um, and he's just a guy I think is going to stay solid, uh, and do what he maybe a little, do a little bit too much. Sometimes we, we do get in that range where it's like, you know, he thinks to himself, it's Furcon time and it's not always Furcon time, but he's definitely, he's definitely a really solid guy to keep around. And he did struggle a little bit in that Hawk series when he was asked to uh, step in for Danny Green when he was injured. And I don't know how much you can expect from him. He's still young. Like that's the thing is I kind of forget sometimes he's still fairly young um, and there's still, still a lot of room for him to grow. Um, but I guess we can finally address the elephant in the room and, and what has been the the shadow encompassing the Sixers organization for the last, I don't know, three months or so, and specifically the last three weeks, where Ben Simmons decided not to show up to training camp the last two weeks, has been basically MIA, uh, uncontactable, won't not respond to Joel or Tobias or anyone in the organization. The conversation was only going through Rich Paul and the Sixers organization. And then last night, uh, apparently, he shows up at the arena and says, like, I'm outside. Let me in. Uh, I need to get in and get my COVID test. So he was apparently met with Doc and Daryl Daryl Morey today, uh, according to John Clark. So, Jago, tell me what you're thinking. Just bring us up to speed on what you've thought about Ben coming up to this point. And then now that he is in the city, he's, he's in the facilities today. Uh, what is going to happen here? First of all, like it's typical Sixers for your second star player to like get to the facility and have to text the general manager to open the door. Right. It's like, could have been any more awkward. You just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't script it any better. Uh, I was talking about it this morning with Chris. I think uh, it was important for the Sixers that Ben returned from the standpoint that it puts a team back in the driver's seat. Um, in terms of what the future holds. I think that by Ben not being in the facility, it really put the Sixers in a difficult position to negotiate a trade or move them in the future. So I think that step one is a win for the Sixers primarily. Uh, and I was talking I was talking to the guys this morning, like no matter how you see Ben Simmons, especially after the Atlanta series, uh, whether you like him or not, there is still a star power element to his game. And by him being back in the facility and the Sixers likely starting the year with him in the roster, that opens a new possibility for the Sixers moving forward. And that the possibility I'm talking about specifically is one of the star guys. So Bradley Beal, you know, Dane Lillard, all the names that we've all thrown around, you know, halfway through the year decide like this is not for me and I want out. 
And if Ben Simmons is in the facility with the team, that puts the Sixers in a, in a position to have the conversation around Dame Lillard and Bradley Bureau and some other name that may pop up during the year. So I think the Sixers had a positive thing happen to them yesterday. Uh, now, if you ask me, he's going to come in and play. That is a difficult thing to to assess. I think it's clear that the reason why he came in, at least yesterday, was that he would not be able to get fined. So just preserve some of the money. But I find it hard to believe that he would sit through an entire year or even half of the year with the team uh, and not play basketball. So I do think that perhaps, you know, as he builds his conditioning back up, we'll eventually see him slowly back into the rotation. But the question I'm proposing to you guys, like, what does that look like? Because the team is clearly changing its dynamic, right? We saw the first two preseason games, what it looks. And I think Joel hinted at that after the press conference where they asked about him. He said, like, listen, we'll welcome Ben back, but he's got to understand that we're implementing a new offense. And I think he meant specifically, like, if you're out on the perimeter, you better shoot the freaking ball. And we're not dealing with this, like, stuff all over again. I think that's Joel's way of saying, like, this is now my team, like enough of this, and we're going to roll with me as the main guy. So it's going to be very interesting. I don't know what you guys take on this is it's going to be a soap opera for the next couple of weeks, but the team looks, a lot of young guys just seem like they don't really care. They're excited to play and they're willing to ride whatever's out there. Yeah. I mean, my first thing is obviously it's a good thing that he is back that from all areas, this benefits the Sixers in the long run. When we talk about trade value, just a little bit of the, the the lingering drama behind the scenes is finally at least put front and center and it's something to deal with. And I also have been impressed with how everyone has handled it, especially Joel Embiid with all everything that he said, all the comments he's made. I've just been loving that he's the face of the franchise. Daryl Morey just looking down the barrel, not blinking, finally bringing this back is huge. And uh, sure, a problem that he had a hand in causing, but to just bring it back to here, I think is a good thing. And then... I mean, I don't know exactly where Simmons goes. I also don't think that he's here to play basketball right away and sign back up. He definitely has no long-term plans with the Sixers still, and this is definitely a, a monetary decision for why he is there. But what can he really do? Like, there's a part of me that wonders, like, what what is the conversation inside the franchise right now? Like, there's definitely some awkwardness there. He hasn't talked to these guys all summer. And what does this just look like? Like, what if he his show up – I keep picturing this as my mind, as we all remember the, the Jimmy Butler – Workout though, where he's bringing on the third stringers and tearing Carl Anthony Towns apart. What if Simmons show up is just coming and shooting threes and doing his thing and playing like this is like, what if that's what it took? And I still don't think he's ever back with the team, but just like the frustrations that would bring and everything that comes with it is such like a scene to me. And like you said, this is an absolute soap opera. There's still some, a ton of drama that is going forth. And I'm very frustrated that this did happen like during the preseason game yesterday when I was having such positive vibes about the Sixers and how good they looked, how awesome it was to watch. And then there's the little woes notification of this man is now back in Philadelphia and back refocusing things on him. So there's definitely more drama coming with it and it's frustrating, but overall a good thing that he is back. Yeah, yeah. He saw Point Ferg and he's like, I got to get my job back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> going on out there. It was yeah. funny I saw a tweet. It was like, it was a perfect tweet. Ben Simmons going to come back, shoot one for 30 from three point land, and win 90% of the fan base back just by shooting the three. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's wild, man. It really is. And I mean, 
we kind of mentioned it beforehand. This is a this is uh, better than any reality show. I tweeted that yesterday when when it said that he was going to come back, and there has not ever been a, a reality show that has captured the drama and and the lust and and just the the way that the Sixers have gone about even just this last like uh, off season and everything with Ben. Um, but I don't I don't know I don't I really am curious now to see what happens. Um, you know, when he is in the facility, when he does have to face the media, when he does have to face the fans again, um, and just whether he buys in or not. And, and Tiago, you made an interesting point about what Joel said last night, which I liked a lot, was, you know, we're all here. We've been here. It's time for you to either come back and buy in or don't don't come back at all. So um, Doc did mention a while ago that he, he, he wanted to implement a little bit more of like a Joel team and a Ben team and kind of stagger their minutes a little bit more than we saw. But obviously, they're going to share the court. They're they're the two best players on the team when they're available, and th- there's no other choice for Doc but to have them on the the, the floor at the same time. So Ben's own, if he wants to come back and win the fans back, it's pretty simple. I feel like just say, you know, I kind of screwed up here. Whatever happened, happened, um, and then go out on the floor and, and and shoot a couple three pointers. Like I feel like it's pretty simple. I feel like. Philadelphia is uh, not that difficult to to rebound against. So I don't know, though. Well, Sean, you, you look like yeah. you're about to say something. I also think the only way I think Simmons really can truly save this from like a fan base perspective is you need to scapegoat Rich Paul almost entirely yep. here. And I would love it, though. 100%. I've been taking bad advice from my agent that this is the route he told me. I listen and just put it. And it, it is interesting, some of the reports. It, it sounds like the Sixers have only been in communication with Rich Paul through this whole summer. And it sounds like Ben just kind of showed up on his own. So he definitely could swing this in a way that makes him look like not not necessarily that he can be the good guy after all this, but at least that it kind of softens the blame on him and throws it back. And I can get 100% behind the Rich Paul hate and behind all that. So I, that's the only way I think this can kind of fully blow over is if he kind of pushes the blame on the Rich Paul and – Ben Simmons has no problem pushing blame onto others, so that shouldn't be an issue. <laughs> but uh, to me, that's the only way that this can truly be saved. Yeah, those Talk clutch how guys, feel about that. They, they stick together, man. Those clutch guys are not going to sell each other out. I mean, ultimately, like, it's on Ben, man. Like, part of the reason why we're here is you have not developed an offensive game. And I don't even I, – I'm not as big on the three-point shot as most people are, or even a jump shot. I go straight to like free throws and attacking the rim. I mean, we're not asking you to be a 40% three-point shooter. We're not asking you to be, you know, Steph Curry from the outside. Attack the rim with consistency. Be the offensive force that you can be. And I think if he's only that player, Sixers fans are more than happy to have him on the roster because of the impact that he has defensively. It's tremendous. I mean, there aren't two other players better than him defensively in the NBA. So... But, I mean, we continue going the same circle with Ben. It's, he's never committed to being an offensive force in the NBA. And he's used excuses. Uh, and he's kind of boxed himself in this role now where he's like a defensive stopper slash, you know, fourth contributor. Mm-hmm. But dude, you're a max player, man. You can't be getting paid that much money to be a defensive contributor. Like, if you're going to take $10 million a year, great. Then you can be that player. So, uh, he's never really bought into the offensive part of this game, and I, you know, that's why he's here. And, this, and he's got to face the music. It's going to be here, and it's going to be somewhere else. Because yeah. you can say, well, he's going to go to Sacramento and hide there. At some point, Sacramento is going to be in a position to win. And their fans and their players are going to have the same criticism towards Ben Sim because they expect him to do more. 
So it's not yes. just a Philly thing. It's an NBA thing. What role you provide within this within the system of a team? So. Well, and the, the other thing that, like, as much as, again, it is a good thing he's back in the long run, but I don't think this guarantees that, like, his value rebounds whatsoever. And especially for a guy that there's been questions about his desire and, like, before for a guy that's maybe half checked in right now to come show up and play, like, that doesn't necessarily breed success for me. And, like, when you think about the chemistry that is being attempted to be built with this roster, like, this certainly could be a putting the Sixers in a position where maybe the best option is – swing it for a, a Brogdon and whatever, or one of the CJ McCollum or kind of the mediocre deals that we've kind of been like, all right, throughout, like there is kind of a, I could see this working in Ben's favor as well. If there is kind of a, a chemistry downfall or people aren't liking having him around or simply he's just not checked in like Simmons. There's never been any question about his natural talent or his athletic ability or anything like that. But his unwillingness to just develop different areas of his game will be put on full display, especially if he's not putting 100% out there. And if he's not willing to do his, like, take coast to coast and his put his head down at all, and that's going to show right away. And they're going to see it in practice. So the Ben Simmons that shows up and how much he's willing to put in certainly matters in this this situation. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Doc Rivers handles this. And and sure. I've gone on record, I've said this uh, uh, more than a few times, is that I'm not a fan of Doc Rivers and what he's done uh, throughout his career and spe- like last year specifically. And um, Sean, to your point, it's going to be difficult to, to rebound your um, Ben's effort or I mean, not his effort, but like what he's got value is to a trade partner because everyone knows what he is during the regular season, right? He's an all-star. He's, he's all NBA potential and he's defensive player of the year candidate. That's what he is during the regular season. But I think at this point, everyone knows that. And I don't think anyone's looking past that at all, but I think he has to go at like if they, if they really want to get him his value back to more so than what it was before, like, and I'm not saying maybe this doesn't even happen here, but if they think that they're going to get a better player than what Ben is, like he has to prove it in the in a playoff series. You know what I mean? And then, you know, he might not be here by then, but he's he's going to have to show up and give effort. He's going to have to show up like. I'm, I'm just very like I, I don't know the answers I don't know exactly what's going to happen I think it's hard to predict because this has just been like unpredictable all the way up to this point even the last night when we get a Woj notification at 10 p.m saying Ben's in the building uh when Elton Brand didn't know and Doc Rivers didn't know and nobody knew and Ben's own agent didn't know he was going to be there like it's just been very very strange to this point and it's hard to put a finger on where it went wrong specifically and then it's hard to put a finger on where it might go back to being right um, but if they bring him in and they have a plan and they're saying, this is what, uh, we're going to do for you this year. Listen, if we give you this, if we give you the keys to a secondary offense where you're the main contributor and you get to do whatever you want, you, when you play with Joel, you have to shoot this when you catch a wide open in the corner, like when you're playing that role, like space the floor. And if your guy sags off to double Joel, you have a wide open three. Like, I don't understand. Maybe this is a mental block or whatever it is, but like, for a guy that plays basketball every single day, like he should want to catch and shoot wide open three pointers. You do, like, don't you think? Like, and he has that ability and that opportunity with Joel. Have you guys sat through like a sixes free game, courtside? Yeah, uh, not courtside, but I, I went there. Uh, I was there when he made the, his first three against oh, the. Uh, wow. Yeah, it was, and it went. The place went crazy though. <laughs> well, next time you're down there, if he's ever played with sixes again. This guy would go through a routine in the corner. He'll take like 15 or 20 three pointers and you'll make like 10. Like swish, 10 out of 20, you know, eight yeah, out of 15. 15. And you're like, 
man, like, just take it. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. If you go four for 12, that's great, man. That is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, he does not have, like, a bad touch. He does have a great touch, but it's not, like, terrible. Like, it doesn't look awful coming off his hands. Uh, I never understood why at least he would, need, he would space the office from the corner. Yeah. Um, but that's on him to, to figure it out. And I think that one more point of that, like you were saying, um, so yeah, he's an all-star and that's all good and great. But you saw, for instance, the comment that the GM from the Golden State Warriors had, we should got fined for tampering. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, Ben is a great player, but we don't know how he fits our roster. And I think that is something that teams are going to be very cautious about, especially contending teams, to be like, yeah, we can bring this guy in, but like, what is he, right? Are we going to be paying another this, the replica of what he was with the Sixers, which is, again, a phenomenal player, but does he fit exactly what we want to get accomplished, specifically in an offense-driven league? So it's uh, it's not a slam dunk that even if he's an all-star, he'll get you know, the right trade situation. Yeah, and by the way, it's, it's so funny to me that he was fine for tampering for saying, I don't want this guy, which <laughs> just objectively is so funny to me. Yeah. Uh, if you had to set the over-under at 0.5, so does this guy ever play a game with the Sixers again? Does Ben Simmons play a game in the Sixers uniform again? What do you guys think? That's a tough one. I go back and forth. Some days I'm like, yes. Some days I'm like, no. Uh, I'm going to say no, but I could easily go the other way. <laughs> I, I, I think he will. I think he will. Um, I don't think he has a choice at this point. He's he went to clear COVID protocol. He he's doing a physical today. Um, I, I think if he shows up in that arena or in that facility and doesn't have a plan to play, like I, the the whole point up to this point was Doc and Daryl were like, we just need to get him in the building and things are going to change. Um, and if there was a lot of of noise from his management or whatever his his camp which has always been questionable at best. Um, and now he's there and, and he has people talking to him. I don't know. I think it would have been weird for Joel to say that him and the, the front office had it resolved yesterday, which was an interesting quote to me from Joel's press conference. Um, but yeah, I think I think he does. And I don't know how long it'll last. I don't know how, how he will look in those games that he plays. Um, but I do, I do think that he will play. Gotcha. So the new Keith Pompey pop-up says, sources say Ben Simmons took his required physical today. His playing status for the season is to be determined, and he can't be around teammates for five days due to protocols. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. We've heard the whispers of, like, the injury shows up. I mean, the bottom line is he's here so he wouldn't get fined and to get money. I can't imagine that that goes with – that the Sixers are on board with paying him to just be there. So there has to be some sort of basketball – agreement or whatever whatever the negotiations are behind the scenes at this point i still like long term there's no way this guy is here past the deadline but i could definitely see maury strong arming him into playing some games just to hope for rebounding value which it definitely could happen if he shows back up and shows out that first game back at the the center (laughs) is going to be cannot miss television yeah yeah it's going to be something that I'm not sure the world is ready to see. <laughs> They're going to flex out the prime time for sure. It's going to oh, be yeah. ESPN and TNT, whoever it needs to be. Um, imagine though, first game comes out, he's going to, he's, he has to take a pull up three on the first possession. <laughs> I think it's a requirement at this point. Um, and like, not even be... joking, not even joking. Like, I think he should, like, I think that's a, a rip the bandaid off, like get it yeah. out of the way. Like, <laughs> like what do you have to lose at this point? If you're Ben? No. Smith? 
No, and I think that that would be the only way that he doesn't get booed every time he touches the ball. Like, I think if he walked up, like, Joel gives him the tip, he catches the ball, walks it up the floor, and you just clear out and let him work, maybe ISO a little, step back or something. And, he, like, it doesn't matter if you hit, like, backboard and then brick. It doesn't matter. Just, just Imagine pull he up hits it, though. So yeah, like seriously, that nineteen thousand people booing. All of a sudden, he hits a three. Like they come back in. Like you're, they're literally everyone is is reeled right back in in that moment. And I think that would be hilarious, but it definitely will be interesting to see uh, what happens. And it's very difficult to know uh, right now. But you kind of feel like I mean, never a dull moment with this team. Um, and it just out of the most unexpected corners of the world, these this team makes you feel so strange. Like. Who would have thought a year ago that this would be the situation that we're in? But um, we're definitely going to keep doing what we got to do to keep up with it, keeping you guys up with it. Uh, we can wrap it up here, though. Tiago, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, tell the people where they can follow you and then where they should follow you. Yeah, so you can find me at Tiscabia uh, on Twitter. And we also do a ton of stuff for the Painted Lines. We do Sixers post game. We started a morning show called uh, Cup of Joe. Uh, Chris headlines that, but we meet up after every Sixers game and talk about, you know, the highlights and so forth. And we pump out a bunch of articles. Uh, Austin covers us for the for the painted lines. So make sure to check that out. And thanks for having me, guys. It was, it was a great time. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, we'll definitely keep in touch for sure. Right. We really like your work as well um, as the rest of the guys at the painted lines. So so it was definitely nice to keep up with you guys and, and get connected. So we appreciate it. And we'll talk to you guys soon.